everybody and welcome to the Going Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast where this week we do more Alice in Wonderland chapters, I talk about some TV shows and a new video game I play. That's right, this week's episode is short, sweet, and straight to the point. We do three brand new chapters of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I talk about Borderlands 3. We do a 17-minute wrap-up of what I think about Star vs. the Forces of Evil, and I talk a little bit about Gravity Falls. And if you enjoy this show and like to support it, there's only one way you can do that now which is patreon.com forward slash going upcast where you can become a $5 patron and get access to the monthly live streams. I have since eliminated the store on the website because nobody ever used it and it was costing me money. That's all fine. Totally cool. Let's get into the podcast. Time to get back into Alice in Wonderland with chapter seven, a mad tea party. There was a table set out under a tree in front of a house, and the March Hare and the Hatter were having tea at it. A Dormouse was sitting between them fast asleep, and the other two were using it as a cushion, resting their elbows on it and talking over its head. Very uncomfortable for the Dormouse, thought Alice, only it's asleep, so I suppose it doesn't matter. The table was a large one, but the three were all crowded together at one corner of it. No room, no room, they cried out when they saw Alice coming. There's plenty of room, Alice said indignantly, and sat down in a large armchair at one end of the table. Have some wine, the March Hare said in an encouraging tone. Alice looked around at the table, but there was none on it, on it but tea. I don't see any wine, she remarked. There isn't any, said the March Hare. That wasn't very civil of you to offer it, said Alice angrily. It wasn't very civil of you to sit down without being invited, said the March Hare. I didn't know it was your table, said Alice. It's laid out for a great many more than three. Your hair wants cutting, said the Hatter. He had been looking at Alice for some time with great curiosity, and this was his first speech. You should learn not to make personal remarks, said Alice with some severity. It is very rude. The Hatter opened his eyes very wide on hearing this, but all he said was, Why is a raven like a writing desk? Come, we shall have some fun now, thought Alice. I'm um, glad they've begun asking riddles. I believe I can guess that, she said. Uh, she added aloud. Do you mean that you think you can find out the answer? Said the Marcher. Exactly so, said Alice. Then you should say what you mean. The macho went on. I do, Alice replied hastily. At least, at least I mean what I say, and that's the same thing, you know. Not the same thing a bit. Oh, it's the hatter. Not the same thing a bit, said the hatter. Why, you might just as well say that I see what I eat is the same thing as I eat what I see. You might just as well say, added the macho, that I like what I get is the same thing as I get what I like. You might as well just say, added the dormouse, who seemed to be talking in his sleep. That I breathe when I sleep is the same thing as I just sleep when I breathe. It is the same thing with you, added the Hatter, and here the conversation dropped and the party sat silent for a minute, while Alice thought over all she could remember about ravens and writing desks, which wasn't much. The Hatter was the first to break the silence. What day of the month is it? He said, turning to Alice. He had taken his watch out of his pocket and was looking at it uneasily, shaking it every now and then and holding it to his ear. Alice considered a little and then said, The fourth. Two days wrong, sighed the Hatter. I told you butter wouldn't suit the works. He added, angrily, looking angrily at the matcha. It was the best butter, the matcha replied meekly. Yes, but some crumbs must have got in as well, the Hatter grumbled. You shouldn't have put it in with a bread knife. The matcha took the watch and looked at it gloomily. Then he dipped it in his cup of tea and looked at it again. He could think of nothing better to say than his first remark. It was the best butter, you know. Alice had been looking over her shoulder with some curiosity. What a funny watch, she remarked. It tells the day of the month and doesn't tell what o'clock it is. Why should it? muttered the Hatter. Does your watch tell you what year it is? Of course not, 
Alice replied very readily. But that's because it stays the same year for such a long time together. Which is just the case with mine, said the Hatter. Um, Alice felt dreadfully puzzled. The Hatter's remark seemed to her to have no sort of meaning in it, yet it was certainly English. I don't quite understand you, she said as politely as she could. The Dormouse is asleep again, said the Hatter, and he poured a little hot tea on its nose. The Dormouse shook its head impatiently and then said without opening its eyes, Of course, of course, just what I was going to remark myself. Have you guessed the riddle yet? Um, the Hatter said, turning to Alice again. No, I give up, Alice replied. What's the answer? I haven't the slightest idea, said the Hatter. Nor I, said the Macha. Alice sighed wearily. I think you might have something better to do with, I think you might have something better with the time, she said, than wasting it and asking riddles that have no answers. If you knew time as well as I do, said the Hatter, you wouldn't talk about wasting it. It's him. I don't know what you mean, said Alice. Of course you don't, Alice said. Um, the Hatter said, tossing his head contemptuously. I dare say you've never even spoke to time. Perhaps not, Alice cautiously replied. But I know I have to beat time when I learn music. Ah, that accounts for it, said the Hatter. He won't stand beating. Now, if you only kept on good terms with him, he'd do almost anything you like with the clock. For instance, suppose it were nine o'clock in the morning, just in time to begin lessons. You'd only have to whisper a hint to time, and round goes the clock in a twinkling. Half past one, time for dinner. Only... I only wish it was, the Macha said to itself in a whisper. That would be grand, certainly, uh, said Alice thoughtfully. But then I shouldn't be hungry for it, you know. Not at first, perhaps, said the Hatter. But you could keep it to half past one as long as you like. Is that the way you manage? Alice asked. The hat sh Hatter shook his head mournfully. Not I, he replied. We quarreled last March, just before he went mad, you know, pointing with his teaspoon at the March Hare. It was a great concert given by the Queen of Hearts, and I had to sing... Twinkle, twinkle, little bat, I wonder what you're at. You've heard the song, perhaps? I've heard something like it, said Alice. It goes on, you know, the hat continued. In this way, up above the world you fly like a tea tray in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle. Here the Dormash shook itself and began singing in its sleep. Twinkle, 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 twinkle. And it went on so long they had to pinch it to uh, make it stop. When I hardly finished the first verse, said the hatter, when the queen bawled out, he's murdering the time off with his head. How dreadfully savage, exclaimed Alice. And ever since that, the hat went on, Hatter went on in a mournful tone, he won't do a thing I ask. It's always six o'clock now. A bright idea came in Alice's head. Is that the same reason so many tea things are put out here? She asked. Yes, that's it, said the Hatter with a sigh. It's always tea time, and we've no time to watch the things between whiles. Then you keep moving around, I suppose, said Alice. Exactly so, said the Hatter, as the things get used up. But when you come to the beginning again, um, uh, Alice ventured to ask, Suppose we change the subject. Oh, suppose we change the subject. The March Hare interrupted, darling. I'm getting tired of this. I vote the young lady tells us a story. I'm afraid I don't know one, said Alice, rather alarmed at the proposal. Then the Dormouse shall, they both cried. Wake up, Dormouse. And they pinched it on both sides at once. The Dormouse slowly opened his eyes. I wasn't asleep, he said with a hoarse, feeble voice. I heard every word you fellows were saying. Tell us a story, said the March Hare. Yes, please do, pleaded Alice. And be quick about it added the hatter. Oh, you'll be asleep again before it's done. Once upon a time, there were three little sisters. The Dormash began in a great hurry. Their names were Elsie, Lacey, and Tilly. They lived at the bottom of a well. What did they live on? Said Alice, who always took great interest in questions of eating and drinking. They lived on treacle, said the Dormash after thinking of for a minute or two. Couldn't have done that, you know. Alice remarked gently. They'd have been ill. Sure they were, said the Dormash. Very ill. Alice tried, um... Uh, a little to fancy herself what such an extraordinary way of living would be like, but it puzzled her too much, so she went on. Why do they live at the bottom of a well? Take some more tea, the Macha said to Alice very earnestly. 
I've had nothing yet, Alice replied in an offended tone, so I can't take more. You mean you can't take less? Or, you mean you can't take less, said the Hatter. It's very easy to take more than nothing. Nobody asked your opinion, said Alice. Who's making personal remarks now? The Hatter asked triumphantly. Alice did not know, uh, quite know what to say to this, so she helped herself to some tea and bread and butter. Then she turned to the Dormouse and repeated her question. Why did they live at the bottom of a well? The Dormouse took a minute or two to think about it and then said, It was your treacle well. There's no such thing. Alice began very angrily, but the Hatter and the March Hare went, Shh! And the Dormouse sulkily remarked, you can't be shivel, you better finish the story yourself. No, please go on, Alice said very humbly. I won't interrupt again. I dare say they may they may they may be nope, nope, no, nope. I dare say there may be one. There we go. One indeed, said the dormouse indignantly. However, he consented to go on. And so these three little sisters they were learning to draw, you know. What did they draw? asked Alice, um, quite forgetting her promise. Treacle, said the dormouse without considering it at all this time. I want a clean cup, interrupted the hatter. Let's all move one place on. He moved on as he spoke, and the Dormouse followed him. The March Hare moved into the Dormouse's place, and Alice, rather unwillingly, took the place of the March Hare. The hatter was the only one who got any advantage from the change, and Alice was a good deal worse off than before, as the March Hare had just upset the milk jug into his plate. Alice did not wish to offend the Dormouse again, so she began very cautiously. But I don't understand. Where did they draw the treacle from? You can, uh, you can draw water out of the water well, said the hat. So I think you should, could draw a treacle out of the treacle well. Hey, stupid. But they were in the well, Alice said to the Dormouse, not choosing to notice this last remark. Of course they were, said the Dormouse. Well then. And this answer so confused poor Alice that she let the Dormouse go on for some time without interrupting. They were learning to draw. The Dormouse went on yawning and rubbing its eyes for it was getting very sleepy. And they drew all manner of thing. Everything that begins with an M. Why an M? said Alice. Why not? said the matcha. Alice was silent. The dormouse had closed its eyes by this time was going off in a doze, but on being pinched by the hatter, it woke up again with a little shriek and went on. That begins with an M, such as mouse traps and the moon and memory and muchness. You know, um, they say things are much of a muchness. Did you ever see such a thing as a drawing of muchness? Really, now you ask me, said Alice, very much confused. I don't think. Then you shouldn't talk, said the hatter. This piece of rudeness was more than Alice could bear. She got up in great disgust and walked off. The dormouse fell asleep instantly, and neither of the others took the least notice of her going. Though she looked back once or twice, half hoping they would call after her the last time she saw them, and they were trying to put the dormouse into a teapot. Jesus. At any rate, I'll never go there again, said Alice as she picked her way through the wood. It's the stupidest tea party I've ever was at in all my life. Just as she said this, she noticed that on one of the trees I had a door leading right through it. That's very curious, she thought, but everything's curious today. I think I may as well go in it, um, at once. And in she went. Once more, she found herself in a long hall and close to the little glass table. Now I'll manage better this time, she said to herself, and began by taking the little golden key and unlocking the door that led into the garden. There she went uh, to work nibbling at the mushrooms. She had kept a piece of it in her pocket till she was about a foot high. Then she walked down the little passage, and then she found herself at last in the beautiful garden among the bright flower beds and the cool fountains. Nice! Finally got there, only fucking seven chapters in. So a couple of weeks back, I was telling y'all about a show called Starved vs. the Forces of Evil. And at the time, I had only seen the first, pff, what, like three or four episodes of season one? I have now since finished the show. So, it's, alright... I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, and I do think it's worth seeing if you're a fan of, like, those sorts of shows. It was, um, you know, it's a kid show. Uh, probably targeted at middle school, would be my guess, that age group. Um, definitely has some 
interesting themes of like racism and historical revisionism and stuff like that. Um, also deals with like high fantasy adventure, um, the troubles of being a teenager, family drama, stuff like that. And um, it is so the first two seasons predominantly focus on Marco and Star becoming friends, fighting Ludo, saving each other from bullshit, going on whimsical magic adventures, that sort of stuff. And then season two ends by ripping out your heart and stomping on it. And then season three kind of just bumble fucks around with Tom. Fucking Tom. And then season four starts off pretty dicely, but like the last... So, I was all set to come into this review and tell y'all not to waste your time. But the last, like, God, last half of season four just fucking kind of nails it. And it fixes, like, every problem the show was having prior to that moment. It's like, the it's the equivalent of Gymnast having a really good run-up and a fairly decent spring off the mat and then proceeding to flail their arms and legs while screaming hysterically and then landing perfectly. Like, pretty good. Pretty good start. Oh, oh, there you go. That's a good launch. What the fuck happened? Oh, wow, you stuck the landing. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't even... I didn't see that coming at all. How did you do that? No, shut up. How did you do that? I don't... I don't get it. It's almost like you had different writers or something. Something changed in like the middle point in season four. That being said, there were hints and little Easter eggs and drops like leading up to the ending of season four. So it needed the stuff that came before it. Now it did not need everything. If you want to watch Star vs. the Forces of Evil, um, and it's four seasons, there might be a season five, but I really super fucking doubt it. Um, I mean, the show ended, so I, I very much doubt that they're going to come back um, and do another season. They might do a movie. I mean, Steven Universe got a movie. Um, and season four definitely ended with, like, stuff to talk about. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything for you guys naturally but if i had to estimate based on the like almost a hundred segments because most of the episodes are split into two parts except for like some of the bigger episodes or the whole episode um i would say about 40 percent of the show deals with the relationship of star and marco and the overarching plot of the entire show about 40 percent of it the other 60% is kind of faffing about adventures and dumb shit. And if you like slice of life shows, you're going to enjoy the vast majority of the show. In my opinion, the slice of life episodes are at their strongest in the first two seasons. And then for a little bit of in season four, when they're on earth, um, it's not that I don't enjoy the stuff with Muni. I just think the show loses its way a little bit, um, in the, in the weeds there. Um, because it kind of forgets. St so like, all right, I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. So star and Marco, um, 
you know, start developing feelings for each other uh, in early on in the show. And um, eventually it comes out like Marco starts dating this other character named Jackie and Star has like a really hard time with it. And it's very sad. And at the end of season two, she finally admits her feelings to Marco and then just fucking bounces and goes back to Muni because her old home is in trouble. And at uh, that, like that moment, Marco doesn't really have like a way to talk to star and just fucking leaves. And it's like, it just cuts off right there. She's like, Marco, I like you. And then she just fucking bails and it's heart wrenching and horrible. And, um, it's one of the strongest season endings of any show I've ever seen. Cause I sat there just like mouth agape going like, Holy fuck. That's crazy. Um, and it's super sad. You should watch it. It's great. Um, but she, when, when Marco eventually does find his way to Muni in season three and comes over as a, like an exchange student, like what star did at the beginning of season one star and Marco, like they were, they were right there. They were ready to like start that relationship. And then she just kind of treats him like shit for all of season three and is dating this dick shit named Tom. Tom is fine, but Tom got in the way, you know, it's like when you're watching friends, imagine you're watching friends and instead of like Ross's fucking clown car of romantic interests throughout that show, it was just Emily from season two to like season nine. She just never left just her annoying dumbass, just being around all the time. That's Tom. Tom, is a fine character in their own right, but they got in the way. Therefore, I hate them. So Tom hangs out for far too fucking long. And season three and the first half of season four spends way too much time developing the side characters who I don't really give a fuck about because I'm only here for Star and Marco. And it does, and it sticks the fucking landing. That's the bit that gets me. It's like, starts off, like I already did the metaphor, but it does. I swear to God, it really loses its way in the weeds in the middle there. And then it comes back and it fucking saves everything. And I'm just kind of like, what the fucking that that's, I think that's the bit I'm having the hardest time, like wrapping my head around the first episode I saw of this fucking show was like the fourth to last episode of the whole fucking show. That's the episode I saw in, um, in, uh, fucking whatchamajigger, um, Amsterdam, like, that was the episode I saw. I think it was episode, yeah, it was like episode 18, I think was the first episode I saw in, um, in Amsterdam, episode 18 of season four. And that completely skewed my expectations of the show. Because even though I knew nothing about the characters or what the fuck was going on, I was like, this is really cool. And these characters are really strong. They have like, like, you know, really good emotions. The dialogue was really strong. The action was really cool. At that point, Star and Marco had like admitted their feelings for each other in like that episode. And so I was just like, oh man, that's cool. And it's like, they're not shying away from it. They're just bam, right in your face. I thought that was what the whole show was about. I did not realize that was the finale. And the later half of season four, had that been the entire show? If it was that fucking competent the whole goddamn time, it'd be like the greatest fucking show that I've, I've ever seen it. It isn't that it isn't it. It does a remarkable job saving that shit at the end, but it definitely loses its way a bit. It is a decent show. 
I will give it that. We're talking solid B. It has a lot of really strong, great elements that elevate the show above the normal drag of the animation world. Though animation's getting a lot fucking better. Um, or it's gotten a lot better. Like, there's some incredible shows that are animated. Um, we're, I, would, I would put this on a par with being about as good as Legend of Korra would be would be my thing. It's nowhere near as good as Last Airbender. Um, but in terms of like really, really good stuff and a lot of really, really dumb stuff, I would say these shows are about equal. Um, so if you liked Legend of Korra, chances are you'll probably enjoy the show. Um, it's definitely a lot more low stakes, especially in the beginning, but it definitely like, it kind of like, it's kind of like Adventure Time a little bit when the Lich started showing up and started really creeping the shit out of people or gravity falls with bill cypher um that kind of stuff like it definitely starts to take a turn uh, around like the end of season one um with like toffee and shit and it it, can, it gets you know there's definitely some imagery when there you're sitting there being like oh what the fuck is going so yes long story short star versus the forces of evil on disney plus if you have it um yeah I, I don't know if i'd recommend it i almost want to create a list of like all the episodes to skip but the problem with that is that even in episodes that are not important to the plot or the development of the characters contain little moments little easter eggs like a, a facial expression or a line or something that ties into the whole thing so Almost all of it is necessary, except for any episode that deals with the spells and the wand. Or any episode that... No, I can't even say any episode that focuses on, like, side characters. Any episode that deals with the spells and the wand do not matter at all. They don't They don't impact the shit at all. The first one's kind of nice, but the other ones, you can just fucking skip those. They don't fucking matter. I don't know why they padded the runtime with those fucking episodes. Um, but those ones, those do not need to happen. So, I will also give credit for this show... For having um, really important characters with some of the more interesting voices I've heard in a kid show, like one of the one of the more primary villains of season four has a very particular uh, vocal quality, which is unusual. I'm not saying it's bad; it's just unusual. Um, so credit for that. Also, I believe the show is the first Disney show to have a lesbian couple. Um, just kind of as a part of the story. So props to that as well. It's fairly subtle, but it's for sure there. Um, like it's confirmed and all that stuff. So I will give it that as well. Um, the music of the show is really good and it definitely had some, some good emotional moments. Um, I feel like if I wasn't looking at the show so objectively and if I didn't come in knowing what the, like the last fucking episode was like, um, the ending probably would have hit me way harder and it, it elicited an emotional reaction, but I did not cry. Like I probably would have had I been watching it like live or for years, you know, like I basically powerhouse this powerhouse to the show in like a month. Um, and it was, it was a fun ride. That being said, I'm probably never going to want to shoot again because like the show does a great job with the characters and all that stuff, but it's a one and doneer, I would say. Now, if it ever comes back with a season five or a movie, both of which are 
fairly unlikely in my opinion. That being said, I mean, the show ended like last May. It hasn't even been a year since the show ended. So who knows? But it definitely ended with um fucking stuff to talk about. I'm not going to say what happens because it's actually pretty cool. Um, but it definitely ends with stuff to talk about. So if it ever does come back, they've got a fucking sandbox to play in. Now the next show I need to watch. I right, hear you go. Yeah. Um, this guy gave the show a B plus. I'm like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the next show I need to watch is um, do 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 do. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Future. When was of the show? Um, so the creator of the show, Nefsi, what the hell is her name? Nefsi, Darren Nefsi is also one of the first show. What, what was it? What's the line? Um, it is the first Disney XD series created by a woman and the third overall for Disney television animation following Pepper Ann from 1997 and Doc McStuffins from 2012. So I'm, I've been reading the Wikipedia article religiously while I've been watching the show and I just saw this for the first time. Um, an upcoming hand-drawn slash computer animated spinoff titled Star in Town will be released on Disney Plus streaming this spring in, or streaming in 2020. It says 2020. Streaming this spring in 2020. It will be produced in a two to one aspect ratio. The fuck does that mean? It's going to Google that real, real quick. Oh. 2 to 1. 18.9 aspect ratio is a very common format for TV. Falls right between uh, the common 16 and 9 and the classic widescreen aspect ratio. So it's slightly wider than normal TV. Interesting. Why? I don't know. What's the source for this? Um, do, 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 do. Huh. Uh, apparently it's a, uh, it's a Reddit thing. So let me just let me just confirm this before I start um, spouting off nonsense. Uh, do 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 do. What is it? Star in re city. Is that what it was called? Um, no. All right, hold on. Hold on. I'm doing this live because I I must know because if the show does continue, I'm gonna be fucking stoked um do 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 I can't find like a corroborating press release or anything so I'm pretty sure it's bullshit which sucks um yeah the only thing that keeps popping up is like uh the wikipedia article where it where it is referenced um hmm it says streaming this spring in 2020. That's that's very strange wording to me. Um, and yeah, the the site for it is the fucking uh, Reddit AMA. I don't think this is legit, which is a bummer. Um, although, if the show did come back in any sort of way, Disney Plus would be the way it would come back. So, we'll I'll keep my eyes peeled. And um, for the six other people out there in this world that still give a rat's ass about the show, um, we will revisit it uh, another time. But the next show I'm going to watch is uh, Gravity Falls, because I watched a couple of those episodes in Amsterdam as well. 
And I think my expectations for that show are a lot lower, so I should probably have a better time with it. Yeah, I kind of shot myself in the foot with Star versus the Forces of Evil. I had really high expectations for it, and I would say the show met, like, most of them. So, anyway, there you go. That was my really long-winded review of telling you that Star vs. the Forces of Evil is pretty good, and if you've got, you know, fucking, it's four seasons, each episode's half an hour, it's like 20-ish episodes a season, you can do the math. If you got that amount of free time, you can just go watch it. Anyway, I should go to bed because I gotta wake up at fucking 4.30 in the morning. But let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. So, I started playing a new game. Well, new game to me. Um, because I was not going to fall for that epic store nonsense. And we started playing some Borderlands 3. Now, if you played Borderlands 2, um, you know, eons ago, back when that game was new, um... I, I personally loved Borderlands 2. I thought the gunplay was really fun. I thought the game was very funny. Um, I loved just, like, the story and all that stuff. It's it's a great game. And I'm happy to say that, in my opinion, Borderlands 3 just kind of... It's a new story, new characters. The classes are a bunch of fun. The gunplay is just as incredible as it always was. The uh, enhanced movement system. A lot of, like, running and sliding. And you can climb on top of, like, boxes and stuff that you couldn't do before. So there's a lot more of, like height and verticality to the battles and it's a lot more dynamic because enemies are coming out from like all sorts of angles and you hide behind um like shitty wooden barricades that are being blown apart by the bullets so you gotta like keep moving around and it's a lot more dynamic and you have to have a bit more like strategy to it the the gun variety is absurd the game looks really good um there's been a couple of like like hiccups in terms of like matchmaking working and stuff like that since I've been playing it, but I'm enjoying it immensely. And I think it is a, a worthy successor to uh, Borderlands 2. I've not done a lot of um, the storyline yet. I've been doing a lot of just like exploring and getting out and seeing what the game has to offer in terms of like hidey holes and fun little side quests and stuff like that. And it's just fun to kind of sink your teeth into it. Um, and I, w- I would recommend it, I think. I think it is a lot of fun and I'm so excited to go back and play more of it here in a little bit but I want to talk about it just for a little bit because it's a fun new game that's a lot of, a lot of fun just go get some Borderlands 3 up in your business and give that a whirl anyway let's move on to the next thing in the podcast chapter 8 the queen's croquet ground a large rose tree stood near the entrance of the garden the roses growing in it, on it were white but there were three gardeners at it busily painting them red Alice thought this was a very curious thing to do, and she went nearer to watch them. Just as she came upon them, uh, she heard one of them say, Look out now, Five! Don't go splashing paint over me like that! I couldn't help it, said Five in a sulky tone. Seven jogged my elbow. They're all going to sound the same. On which Seven looked up and said, That's right, Five. Always blame on the others. You better not talk, said Five. I heard the Queen say only yesterday, You deserve to be beheaded. What for? said the first one who had spoken. That's none of your business, too, said Seven. Yes, it is his business, said Five. Not tell him it was for bringing the cooked tulip roots instead of onions. Seven flung down his brush and had just begun. Well, of all the unjust things! When his eyes chanced to fall upon Alice as she stood watching them, and he checked himself suddenly, the others looked around also, and all of them bowed low. Would you please tell me, said Alice, a little timidly, why are you painting those roses? Five and Seven said nothing, but they looked at two. Two began in a low voice. Why, the fact is, you see, miss, this here ought to be a red rose tree. We put a white one in by mistake, and if the queen was to find out about it, we should all our head cuts off, you know. So you see, miss, we're doing our best, afore she comes to. At this moment, five, who had been anxiously looking across the garden, called, The queen, the queen! 
Three gardeners instantly threw themselves flat upon their faces. There was a sound of many footsteps, and Alice looked round, eager to see the queen. First came the ten soldiers carrying clubs. These were all shaped like the three gardeners, oblong and flat, with their heads and feet um, on the corners. Next to the ten courtiers, um, there were ornamented all over with diamonds and walked two and two, as soldiers did. After these came the royal children. There were ten of them, and the little ears came jumping merrily hand in hand in couples. They were all or ornamented with hearts. Next came the guests, mostly kings and queens. Among them, Alice recognized the white rabbit. It was talking in a hurried manner, nervous manner, smiling at everything that was said, and went uh, by without noticing her. Then followed the knave of hearts, carrying the king's crown on a crimson velvet cushion, and at last of all, this grand procession came the king and queen of hearts. Why is that in capital? It's all caps. The king and queen of hearts! Alice was rather doubtful whether she ought not to lie down on her face like the three gardeners, but she could not remember ever having heard of such a rule at processions. And besides, what would their use of a procession, she thought, if people all had to lie down on their faces so that they couldn't see it? So she uh, stood where she was and waited. When the procession came opposite to Alice, they all stopped and looked at her, and the queen said severely, Who is this? She said to the knave of hearts, who only bowed and smiled and replied, Idiot! The uh, said the queen, tossing her head impatiently and turning to Alice, and she went on, What's your name, child? My name is Alice, if it pleases your majesty, Alice said very politely, but she added to herself, why, they're only a pack of cards, after all. I need be afraid of them. And who are these? Said the queen, pointing to the three gardeners they were lying down around the road trees. For you see, as they were lying on their faces and the patterns on their backs were the same as the rest of the pack, she could not tell whether they were gardeners or soldiers or courtiers or three of her own children. How should I know? Said Alice, surprised at her own courage. It's no business of mine. The queen turned crimson with fury. And after glaring at her for a moment uh, like a wild beast, she began to scream, Off with her head! Off! Nonsense, said Alice very loudly and decidedly, and the queen went silent. Uh, the king laid his hand upon her arm and timidly said, Consider, my dear, she is only a child. The queen turned angrily away from him and said to the knave, Turn them over! The knave did so very carefully with one foot. Get up! said the queen in a shrill, loud voice, and the three gardeners instantly jumped up and began bowing to the king and the queen and the royal children and everyone else. Leave off that! Said the, uh, screamed the queen. You make me giddy! And then, turning to the rose tree, she went on, What have you been doing here? May it please your majesty, said the two, said two, in a very humble tone, going down on one knee as he spoke. We were trying, I see, said the queen, who had been, oh, meanwhile, been examining the roaches. Off with their heads! And the procession moved on, the three soldiers remaining behind to execute the unfortunate gardeners, who ran to Alice for protection. You shan't be beheaded, said Alice, as she put them in a large flower pot, um, that stood near. Three soldiers wandered about for a minute or two, looking after them, and then quietly marched off after the others. Are their heads off? shouted the queen. The heads are gone, if it pleases your majesty, the soldiers shouted in reply. That's right, shouted the queen. Can you play croquet? The soldiers were silenced, looked at Alice, as the question was evidently meant for her. Yes, shouted Alice. Come on, then, roared the queen. Alice joined the procession, wondering very much what would happen next. It, it's a very fine day, said a timid voice at her side. She was walking by the white rabbit, who peeping anxiously into her face. Very, said Alice. Where's the duchess? Hush, hush, said the rabbit in a low, hurried tone. He looked anxiously over her shoulder as he spoke, then raised himself up on tiptoe, put his mouth close to her ear, and whispered, She sent a sentence of execution. What for? said Alice. Did you say, What a pity? Um, asked the rabbit. No, I didn't, said Alice. I don't think it's a pity at all. I said, What for? She boxed the queen's ears. The rabbit began. Alice gave a little scream of laughter. Oh, hush, the rabbit whispered in a frightened tone. The queen will hear you. You, uh, you see, she came rather late, and the queen said, Get to your places! shouted the queen in a voice of thunder, and people began running about in all directions, tumbling up against each other. However, they got settled down after a minute or two, and the game began. 
Alice thought she had never seen such a curious croquet ground in her life. There was all ridges and furrows, and croquet balls were live hedgehogs, and mallets were live flamingos, and the soldiers had to double themselves uh, to stand on their hands and feet and, uh, to make the arches. The chief uh, difficulty Alice found uh, at managing was in... I, I fucking... Nope. Totally screwed that whole thing up. Let's try it again. The chief difficulty Alice found at first was in managing her flamingo. She succeeded in getting its body tucked away comfortably enough under her arm, with the legs hanging down generally, just as she had got its neck nicely strained out it was going and was going to give the hedgehog a blow with its head. It would twist itself round and looked up into her face with such a puzzled expression that she could not help burst out laughing. When she had got its head down and was going to begin again, it was very provoking to find that the hedgehog had unrolled itself and was in the act of crawling away. Besides all this, there was a generally a ridge or fur in the way wherever she wanted to send the hedgehog to, and as the double-up soldiers were always getting up and walking after other parts of the ground, Alice soon became to the conclusion that it was a very difficult game indeed. The players all played at once without waiting their turns, quarreling all the while and fighting for the hedgehogs. In a very short time, the queen was in a furious passion and went off stamping and shouting, Off with her heads! Or off with her head! Uh, about once in a minute. Alice began to feel very uneasy. To be sure, she had not yet had any dispute with the queen, but she knew that it might happen at any minute. And then, she thought, What would become of me? They're dreadfully fond of beheading people here. It's a great wonder that there's anyone left alive. She was looking about for some way to escape, wondering whether she could get away without being seen, when she noticed a curious appearance in the air puzzled her very much at first but after uh watching it uh, a minute or two she made out she made it out to be a grin and said to herself it's the cheshire cat now i have somebody to talk to how are you getting on said the cat as soon as there was a mouth enough for it to speak with alice waited till the eyes appeared and then nodded it's no use speaking to it she thought till it has ears to come or at least one of them another minute the whole head appeared and then alice put down her flamingo and began the account of the game feeling very glad to have somewhere to listen to her cat seemed to think that there was enough of it uh, now in sight, and no more of it appeared. I don't think they play at all fairly, Alice began in a rather complaining tone, and they all quarrel so dreadfully no one can hear oneself speak, and they don't seem to have any rules in particular. At least, if there are no but, if there are, nobody attends to them. You have no idea how confusing it is, uh, all the things being alive. For instance, there's an arch that I've got to go through uh, next, walking about at the other end of the ground, and I should have croqueted the queen's hedgehog just now, only it ran away when it saw mine coming. How do you like the queen? said the cat in a low voice. Not at all, said Alice. She's so extremely... Just then she noticed that the queen was close behind her, listening. So she went on, likely to win, that it's hardly worth finishing the game. The queen smiled and passed on. Who are you talking to? said the king, coming up with Alice and looking at the cat's head with great curiosity. It's a friend of mine, a Cheshire cat, said Alice. Allow me to introduce it. I don't like the look of it at all, said the king. However, it may kiss my hand if it likes. I'd rather not, the cat remarked. Don't be impertinent, said the king. And, I don't, and don't look at me like that. He got behind Alice as he spoke. A cat may look at a king, said Alice. I've read that in some book, but I don't remember where. Well, it must be removed, said the king very excitedly and called to the queen, who was passing at the moment. My dear, I wish you would have this cat removed. The queen um, had only one way of settling all difficulties, great or small. Off with his head, she said, even without looking around. I'll fetch the executioner myself, said the king eagerly, and hurry, he hurried off. Alice thought she might as well go back and see how the game was going on as she heard the queen's voice in the distance, screaming with passion. 
She had already heard the sentence, uh, three players to be executed for having missed their turns, and she didn't like the look of the things at all, as the game was in such confusion that she never knew whether it was her turn or not. So she went off in search of her hedgehog. The hedgehog was engaged in a fight with another hedgehog, which seemed to Alice an excellent opportunity for creating one of them with the other. Only difficulty was that the flamingo was gone across the other side of the garden, where Alice could see it trying in a helpless sort of way to fly up into a tree. By the time she caught the flamingo and brought it back over, the fight was over, and both hedgehogs were out of sight. But it doesn't matter much, thought Alice, as all the archers are gone from this side of the ground. So she tucked it away under her arm so that it might not escape again and went back to have a little more conversation with her friend. When she got back to the Cheshire Cat, she was surprised to find quite a large crowd collected around it. There was a dispute going on between the executioner, the king, and the queen, who were all talking at once, while the rest were quite silent and looked very uncomfortable. The moment Alice appeared, she was appalled to, um, she was appealed to by all three to settle the question, and they repeated their arguments to her, though, as they all spoke at once, she found it very hard to make out exactly what they said. The executioner's argument was that you couldn't cut off a head unless there was a body to cut it off from, that he had never had to do such a thing before, and he wasn't going to begin at his time of life. The king's argument was that anything had a head uh, could be beheaded, and that uh, you weren't to talk nonsense. The queen's argument was that if something wasn't done about it in, um, in less than no time, she'd have everybody executed all around. This was the last remark that made the whole party look so grave and anxious. Alice could think of nothing else to say, but it belongs to the Duchess. You better ask her about it. She's in prison, Queen said to the executioner. Fetch her here! And the executioner went off like an arrow. The cat's head began fading away the moment um, the moment he was gone. By the time he had come back with the Duchess, it had entirely disappeared. So the king and the executioner ran wildly up and down looking for it, while the rest of the party went back to their game. Keeping on with my trend of watching shows that are old and nobody really cares about them anymore and they're originally dying for, well, I can't really say children for this. I'm watching Gravity Falls. That's what I'm on right now. I'm just trying to, I guess, watch all these shows that I've heard of really good things about. Um, and there's like a, there's like a, like five or six shows that all kind of fall into this, this meal you of they're animated and they're technically kid shows, but they all kind of like have more things going on, like Star vs. Forces of Evil, Gravity Falls, Steven Universe, um, Over the Garden Wall, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like really good, solid storytelling shows. And um, Gravity Falls so far is good, um, but it has the same thing that um, Star vs. the Forces of Evil started with, in that I know it's building towards something bigger. But halfway through season one, we've yet to really get there. It's predominantly just kind of like character-driven episodes. Uh, so you get to know more about what they're about. Um, no sense of like a bigger plot. I know the show like has Easter eggs and hands like all over the place. And that's one of the really cool benefits of the show. Um, is to like kind of find those little Easter eggs and stuff like that. Um, but so far, it's just kind of like a nice kind of almost monster of the week show where it's uh, almost slice of life-esque. So yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, I don't really have much else to say about it at this moment in time, but I think I'll do another like 20 minute introspection on the show once I finally finished it. So there you go. Also, uh, just real quick on Disney Plus, now you can see Frozen 2. Hey, isn't that exciting? Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Chapter 9, right? Yes. Roman numerals. The Mock Turtle's Story. 
Um, oh, it's the Duchess. I don't remember what she sounded like, so I'm just gonna give her the same screechy voice that I'm giving everybody. Actually, hold on, before... Okay, yeah, we got, we got some chapter. Okay. You can't think of how glad I am to see you again, you dear old thing, said the Duchess as she tucked her arm affectionately into Alice's as they walked off together. Alice was very glad to find her in such a pleasant temper and thought to herself that perhaps it was only the pepper that made her so savage when they met in the kitchen. When I'm a duchess, she said to herself, oh, it's Alice. When I'm a duchess, she said to herself, not in a very hopeful tone, though, I won't have any pepper in my kitchen at all. Soup does very well without it. Maybe it's always pepper that makes people hot-tempered. She went on, very pleased to have found, uh, at having found a new kind of rule. And vinegar makes them sour, and chamomile makes them bitter, and, and barley sugar and such things that make children sweet-tempered. I only wish people knew that. Then they wouldn't be so stingy about it, you know. She had quite forgotten the Duchess by this time and was a little startled when she heard her voice close to her ear. You're thinking about something, my dear, and that makes you forget to talk. I can't tell you just now what the moral of that is, but I shall remember it in a bit. Perhaps it hasn't one, Alice ventured to remark. Tut tut, child, said the Duchess. Everything's got a moral, if only you can find it. And she squeezed herself up close to Alice's side as she spoke. Gross. Alice did not much like keeping so close to her, uh, because the Duchess was very ugly, and secondly, because she was exactly the right height to rest her chin upon Alice's shoulder, and it was an uncomfortably sharp chin. However, she did not like to be rude, so she bore it as well as she could. The game's rather going on. Um, the game's going on rather better now, she said, by way of keeping up the conversation a little. Tis so, said the Duchess, and the more of that is, oh, tis love, tis love, and makes the world go round. Someone said, Alice whispered, that it's done by everybody minding their own business. Ah, well, it means much the same thing, said the Duchess, digging her sharp little chin at Alice's shoulder. She added, ow. And the more of that is, take care of the sense, and the sounds will take care of themselves. How fond she is of finding morals in things, Alice thought to herself. I dare say you're wondering why I don't put my arm around your waist, said the Duchess after a pause. The reason is that I'm doubtful about the temperature of your flamingo. Shall I try the experiment? He might bite, Alice cautiously replied, not feeling at all anxious to have the experiment tried. Very true, said the Duchess. Flamingos and mustard both bite, and the more of that is birds of a feather flock together. Only mustard isn't a bird, Alice remarked. Right as usual, said the Duchess. What a clear way you have of putting things. It's a mineral, I think, said Alice. Of course it is said the Duchess, who seemed ready to agree with everything that Alice said. There's a large mustard mine near here. The more of that is, the more there is of mine, the less there is of yours. Oh, I know, remarked Alice, who had not attended to this last remark. It's a vegetable. It doesn't look like one, but it is. I quite agree with you, said the Duchess, and the more of that is, be what you seem to be. Or if you'd like to put it more simply, never imagine yourself not to be otherwise than what it might appear to others that what you were or might have been was not otherwise than what you had been would have appeared to be otherwise. I'm going to give that again. I'm going to try that again. Uh -huh. Or if you'd like to put it more simply, never imagine yourself not to be otherwise than what it might appear to others that what you were or might have been was not otherwise than what you had been would have appeared to them to be otherwise. Nailed it. I think I should understand that better, said Oz very politely. If it had written down, I can't quite follow it as you said. Nope, I still can't follow it, so don't worry about it. That's nothing to what I could say if I choose, the Duchess replied in a pleased tone. Pray don't trouble yourself if it, to say any more longer to say it any longer than that. Oh, don't talk about trouble, said the Duchess. I make you a present everything I've said as yet. I make you a present of everything I've said as yet. Okay. A cheap sort of present, thought Alice. I'm glad they don't give birthday presents like that. 
but she did not venture to say it aloud. Thinking again, the Duchess asked with another dig of her sharp little chin. I've a right to think, said Alice sharply, for she was beginning to feel just a little worried. Just as m about as much right, said the Duchess, as pigs have to fly, and the... Hmm. But here, the Alice to the great Alice... Uh, nope. But here, to Alice's great surprise, the Duchess's voice died away, even in the middle of her favorite word, moral. And the arm that linked into hers began to tremble. Alice looked up, and there stood the queen in front of them, with her arms folded, frowning like a thunderstorm. A fine day, your majesty, said the Duchess, began in a low, weak voice. Now I give you fair warning, shouted the queen, stamping on the ground as she spoke. Either you or your head must be off, and in about half no time. Take your choice. The Duchess took her choice and was gone in a moment. Let's go on with the game said the queen to Alice, and Alice was too much too frightened to say a word, but slowly followed her back to the croquet ground. The other guests had taken advantage of the queen's absence and were resting in the shade. However, the moment they saw her, they hurried back to the game, and the queen merely remarked at a moment's delay would cost them their lives. All the time they were playing, the queen never left off quarreling with the players and shouting off with his head or off with her head. Those whom she sentenced were taken in custody by the soldiers, who, of course, had to leave off being arches to do this, so that by the end of an hour or so, there were no arches left, and all the players, except the king, queen, and Alice, were in custody and under sentence of execution. Then the queen left off, quite out of breath, and turned to Alice and said, Have you seen the mock turtle yet? No, said Alice. I don't even know what a mock turtle is. It's the thing mock turtle soup is made from, said the queen. I've never saw one or heard of it, said Alice. Come on, then, said the queen, and he shall tell you his history. As they walked off together, Alice heard the king say in a low voice in their company's general, in the, to the company generally, You're all pardoned. Come, that's a good thing, she said to herself, for she had felt quite unhappy at the number of executions the queen had ordered. They very soon came upon a griffin lying fast asleep in the sun. If you don't know what a griffin is, look at the picture. And there's a picture on the page showing you what a griffin is. Up, lazy thing! said the queen, and take this young lady to see the mock turtle and to hear his history. I must go back and see after some executions I've ordered. She walked off, leaving Alice alone with the griffin. Alice did not quite like the look of the creature, but on the whole, she thought it would be quite safe to stay uh, with it as to go off after the savage queen. So she waited. The griffin sat up and rubbed its eyes, then watched the queen till she was out of sight, then it chuckled. What fun, she said the griffin half to itself, half to Alice. What is the fun? said Alice. Why she, said the griffin, is all to fancy that. They never executes nobody, you know. Come on. Everyone says come on here, thought Alice as she went slowly after it. I never was so ordered about before in all my life. Never. They had not gone far before she saw the mock turtle in the distance, sitting sad and lonely on the little ledge of rock. Uh. And as they came near, Alice could hear him sighing as if his heart would break. She pitied him deeply. What is, what is his sorrow? She asked the griffin, and the griffin answered very nearly uh, in the same words as before. It's all his fancy that. He's got no sorrow, you know. Come on. And so they went up to the mock turtle, who looked down at them with large eyes full of tears, but said nothing. This here young lady, said the griffin, she wants for to know your history, she do. I'll tell it to her, said the mock turtle in a deep, hollow tone. Sit down, both of you, and don't speak a word till I've finished. So they sat down, and nobody spoke for some minutes. Alice thought to herself, I don't see how he can ever finish if he doesn't begin. But she waited patiently. Once, said the Mock Turtle at last with a deep sigh, I was a real turtle. These words were followed by a very long silence, broken only by the occasional exclamation of <laughs> from the griffin, and constant heavy sobbing from the Mock Turtle. Alice was very nearly getting up, saying, Thank you, sir, for your interesting story. Uh, but she could not help thinking that there must be more to come, so she sat still and said nothing. When we were little, said the Mock Turtle, went on at last, more calmly, though still sobbing a little bit every now and then. We went to school in the sea. 
The master was an old turtle. We used to call him Tortoise. Why'd you call him Tortoise if he wasn't one? Alice asked. We called him Tortoise because he taught us. Um, the Mock Turtle said angrily. Really, you are very dull. You ought to be ashamed of yourself asking such a simple question, added the Gryphon. And they both sat silently um, and looked at poor Alice, who felt ready to sink into the earth. Alice, the Gryphon, said to the Mock Turtle, Drive on, old fellow, don't be all day about it. And he went on with these words. Yes, we went to school in the sea, though you mayn't believe it. I never said I didn't, interrupted Alice. You did, said the Mock Turtle. Hold your tongue, added the Gryphon, before Alice could speak again. The Mock Turtle went on. We had the best educations. In fact, we went to school every day. I've been to a day school before, said Alice. You needn't be so proud of all that. With extras, added the Mock Turtle a little anxiously. Yes, said Alice. We learned French and music. And washing, said the Mock Turtle. Certainly not, said Alice indignantly. Ah, then yours wasn't a really good school, said the Mock Turtle in a tone of great relief. Now at Oz, they had an end of the bill. French, music, and washing. Extra. You couldn't have wanted it much, said Alice, living at the bottom of the sea. I couldn't afford to learn it, said the Mock Turtle with a sigh. I only took the regular course. What was that? inquired Alice. Reading and writing, of course, to begin with, the turtle replied. And then, different branches of arithmetic, ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. I've never heard of uglification, Alice ventured to say. What is it? The griffin lifted up its paws in surprise. Never heard of uglifying, it exclaimed. You know what to beautify is, I suppose. Yes, said Alice doubtfully. It means to make anything prettier. Well then, Griffin went on, if you don't know what to uglify is, you are a simpleton. Alice did not feel encouraged to ask any more questions about it, so she turned to the Mock Turtle and said, What else have you uh, had you um, what else had you to learn? Well, there was mystery, said the Mock Turtle replied, counting off the subjects on its flappers. Mystery, ancient and modern, with seography, then drawing drawling. The drawling master was an old conger eel that used to come out once a week. He taught us drawlings stretching and fainting in coils. What was that like? asked Alice. Well, I can't show it to you myself, said the turtle. I'm too stiff, and the griffin had never learned it. Hadn't time, said the griffin. I went to the classical master, though. He was an old crab, he was. I never went to him, said the mock turtle with a great sigh. He taught laughing in grief, they used to say. So he did, so he did, said the griffin, sighing in its turn, and both creatures hid their faces in their paws. And and how many hours a day did you learn do the lessons? said Alice in a hurry to change the subject. Ten hours the first day, said the Mock Turtle, nine the next, and so on. What a curious plan, exclaimed Alice. They're the reason they're called lessons, the Griffin marked, because they lessen from day to day. This was quite a new idea to Alice, that she thought it over a little before she made her next remark. And then on the eleventh day it must have been a holiday. Of course it was, said the Mock Turtle. And how did you manage on the twelfth? Alice went on eagerly. That's enough about lessons. The Gryphon interrupted her in a very decided tone. Tell us something about games now. Ah, that's an awfully abrupt ending to the chapter there. I guess that... I guess that'll do it then, huh? Where's me? Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Going Up Cast, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my talking about TV shows and future games and more Alice in Wonderland chapters. And I will see you all next week for another brand new episode. Have a good one, everyone.